Genre. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Joe Dorowski, and joining me this week is returning guest John Dorowski. Welcome back, John. Great to be back. And we're going to be talking about Darek and Salila from Void Rivals, which is a comic book series written by Robert Kirkman, drawn by Lorenzo De Felici, and colored by Matthias Lopez. It is published by Image Comics slash Skybound Entertainment, and it tells the story of rival aliens whose worlds have been at war, and yet they are stranded together on a deserted planet and may have to work together to survive. The first issue was released in June 2023, and we were talking about the first six issues in total. Uh, at the time of the recording, that's all of the issues that have been released. Um, so, John, this is a series that you suggested. Um, it is one that I had heard of through the iFanboy podcast. That's how I keep up with what monthly comics are coming out uh, or <laughs> that I'm not reading yet. Um, and, and I get a lot of suggestions. And they had a lot of praise for this series. And so when you suggested that we, we, we cover it, I'm like, well, I, I haven't read it yet but it's kind of on my radar, so let's tackle it. Why exactly did you want us to tackle this one, though? Um, well, several things. One is it's a recent success story in the comic book world. Um, first issue, selling over 100,000. That doesn't happen a lot. And also, Robert Kirkman is a very big deal in comic books. He's one of the few people who can make the hair living off of comic books. Well, yeah, okay, he doesn't have to because he's a very yeah. big deal in comic books and film and television. Yeah. <laughs> Extended film and television. But he's one of the yeah. few people who can really make their living just writing comic books if they wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um, you've probably heard of his work, The Walking Dead. Yes, I think that's the one that has uh, given him generational wealth because of the TV uh, adaptations of which he is an executive producer on all of everything or, Walking Dead. Or perhaps you've, perhaps you've heard of Invincible. Uh, yeah, which is a popular Amazon Prime uh, adult animated cartoon series. Yeah. And these are works that are very important to the history of the 21st century comic books, but probably not going to be discussed on the protagonist podcast. And so this was a way to talk about Robert Kirkman and his influence uh, with a uh, new popular text. And mm-hmm. also uh, the first issue, they almost pulled a Thunderbolts. Uh, it seems like they they pretty successfully shocked a lot of people. I I'm not even. So, if uh, going back to your episode on the Thunderbolts, um, it was announced as a new team and a uh, big launch, very exciting. And then in the comic book, it's revealed on the last page that they are actually villains pretending to be heroes. Mm-hmm. That was 1997, and Marvel was able to keep that a secret. So. Unless you were in the comic book shops talking to people, you just slowly got word got out through the magazines over months. Yeah, that this happened mm-hmm. because that was yeah, before I mean, the internet was a big thing. Yeah, so, like if if you were on a message board, you would have seen it, but it was such a small percentage of yeah. comic book readers would have been on a message board. So, uh, for this one, it was a big deal because it was a new comic book from Robert Kirkman. Uh, so that mm-hmm. was likely to interest a lot of people just on its own and uh but they were keeping they were 
making it clear we are keeping things secret about this. There is a big secret. When they sent out um, preview copies, the last half of the book was redacted. Mm-hmm. And it was basically and not until the copies were in the shops that the spoilers started to come out. But and, because of social media and being online, it was much easier for this to become spoiled for people yes. than and it so was it got for spoiled. the day of Thunderbolts. Yeah, it got spoiled the day before it actually hit the stands, which mm. is very impressive in this day and age to be able to keep the secret for that long. And uh, I will go ahead and spoil it for the listeners now. The secret is that Void Rivals was beginning the beginning of the Energon universe, a crossover universe with Transformers and G.I. Joe and this original property. Yes. Um, yeah. Which Robert Kirkman, as you said, he is uh, a very significant figure in the comic book industry in part because of his advocacy for creator owned products and creators keeping the rights to their, their media. Uh, this is why uh, his adaptation, the, uh, the adaptations of his works, um, you know, his co-creations of walking dead and, and invincible have been so significant for him financially. Cause he, he held on to all of the rights uh, for those. Uh, so it's kind of interesting that this big surprise project was, a licensed property <laughs> that he's not going to have the rights to. Yes. But this was a lot of fun because Void Rivals is taking place in a universe in which there are Transformers, but it is not a Transformers comic. Yeah, um, so it is an, it's an original concept that has to insert itself into pre-existing IP, pre-existing mythologies. And yes, they're going to tweak those mythologies for further stories. Uh, there's our uh, Transformers comic book out. There's uh, ones for Duke and Cobra Commander that will build into the G.I. Joe series coming out. Um, but being able to thread that needle of create something original that still fits in with the universe, uh, but can also stand on its own, is a creative feat. Yeah, and um, like in the case of Void Rivals, I've read these six issues. You see a Transformer on basically two pages in the first issue. You see some alien races that I kind of vaguely remembered from the Transformers cartoon of my childhood. Yeah, and they're, looked them up they're to from the check. Generation 2 line of Transformers stuff. So uh, not as big as Optimus yeah. Prime. Yeah, uh, but like there's a few things. But n- working as a Transformer Easter egg or not, the story still worked fine. Uh, like it was that yeah. level of referentiality and... that it, it didn't matter whether I was catching all that. Now, it's interesting for me. Like, I remember Transformers and, like, seeing the cartoon and having some of the toys around, but I think that was more of, like, our oldest brother Adam's, like, really, his, this would have hit his nostalgia button, whereas for me, it'd be, like, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is where, you know, just, just a few years after Transformers, there was this next wave of things that is what really fully embraced me but even saying that where i'm like i, I was never like f- as fully into the transformers cartoon as i ended up being into like the teenage mutant Ninja turtles as a child of the 80s um when i turned the page and i saw uh jet scream uh climbing out uh, up and, and yeah. i'm like oh that's jet scream or Jetfire. Yeah, sorry uh i think i was star scream is another one right Starscream. Like, yeah star scream's yeah. the villain yeah uh, this was Jetfire at the good guy but i like I still got a little bit of a nostalgia hit. Like, oh, it's and it looks right on the comic book page. The way they draw the transformer, it just it looked it looked right, and and it I still did have some of that nostalgic feel of this is a transformers comic I'm holding. Yeah, I uh, similarly I I know I watched some of the transformers cartoons growing up, 
um, and we had a couple of toys. So like I knew what Transformers were. I was not invested. I've read some of the comic books that have come out, um, but again, like never followed closely. Um, I've seen a couple of the movies that have come out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they, they didn't make me into a Transformers fan. Uh, um, of the Hasbro toys, I would, I, I know more about GI Joe, and I remember watching the GI Joe cartoon more than Transformers. And they've also tried to do this shared universe before um, the Transformers comic at IDW. Uh, at the end, folded in GI Joe and some of the other toy lines into a shared universe. Uh, Rom was there, mm-hmm. uh, but like this is the ground floor for building a shared universe and so there's a certain excitement for me in seeing how this will build yeah uh and there's also i think at least for me like a trust that robert kirkland's gonna tell a good story like you said we might not be i have been on the cusp of doing both invincible and walking dead on this podcast with guests before and just at the you know we ended up doing something different we may in the future end up talking about one of those properties uh on the podcast but he's he is known as a quality storyteller uh like the, yeah. he, he knows the craft he knows um how to elicit the emotions uh that he wants to elicit from the reader uh and there's just a level of trust when it's a robert kirkman product uh that goes with it that i think compounded with the excitement of what you're saying about like this kind of like fun shared universe experiment of gi joe and and transformers but with like someone who has proven that they are a master storyteller, not someone who's just like chasing a nostalgia hit. Uh, it, it, well, it, a little it just, bit of both in this case. Yeah. For but him. it piques the curiosity more than just saying, Oh, you know, another comic book company is trying to do the Transformers GI Joe crossover. Yeah. And, uh, and I, like you say, yeah, he's one of the great comic book storytellers and you might have already listeners. You might have already picked up on this in the brief summary. You'll de- definitely see it in the long summary. He's not reinventing the wheel here. There are a lot yeah. of familiar tropes. Worrying aliens, uh, having to work together to survive. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah like you're you're going to see a lot of familiar things, but he does it well. A, a, a budding Romeo and Juliet romance uh, that that's going to take place. Yeah, there's quite a bit. Uh, yeah. But again, uh, telling a familiar story well with just enough unique spin on it to make it feel uh, not redundant. Uh, you know that that also requires a level of craftsmanship and skill uh, to be able to hit it and not make it not make you throw it down and say, well, that's too close to these other things I've seen, uh, and, and therefore I'm going to reject it. Yeah. All right, let's uh, run through a little bit more of the trivia here. Um, so Robert uh, Kirkman, uh, he was a writer who uh, he had done some independent stuff, and he was also working at Marvel, um, and. Uh, he shifted though into doing entirely creator-owned uh, stuff through Image Comics, uh, who is the at this point the third largest comic book publisher after Marvel and DC, but it's a distant third. Uh, but at Image, it tends to be creator-owned series, uh, a little more experimental stuff than what you you typically would get from Marvel uh, and DC. And Kirkman is the co-creator of The Walking Dead and Invincible are his two biggest ones, but he also has some other fun ones like The Astonishing Wolfman and Super Dinosaur um, <laughs> that uh, never became quite as big as his Walking the Dead stuff, but still are a lot of fun uh, to go read. Um, and I looked, he's 45 years old. So working on Transformers and G.I. Joe series, that is the nostalgia sweet spot for him. But also... Oh, yeah. He's only 45 and he's done so much. <laughs> I've been so successful. Yes. 
just massive franchises. Um, and I thought this was fun. His next major TV project is going to be a K-drama being produced in Korea, in Korean. But he is the story, uh, like like he is getting story credit on this K-drama. All right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, that one's going to be called Five Year. I imagine it will end up on an American streamer at some uh so, some point uh in the future um but the like as far as the trivia around this project it's it's a lot of the most significant stuff is what we talked about that uh image and uh robert kerwin's subsidiary and image which is called what was it sky something skybound uh, skybound uh if it's if it's image and it also says skybound that's gonna be a robert kirkman thing they are teaming with hasbro to build this new shared universe of properties that i i mean i guess gi joe technically goes back to the 40s doesn't it the doll or 50s technically but uh, the gi joe you're talking about is the 80s. yeah well, when you say gi joe toys uh and cartoons that's that's the 80s stuff uh and that's what they're going to be uh building on for that and then also transformers now the way it gets presented in this comic book it's possible this comic book is like a thousand years in the future or millennia in the future <laughs> right no uh, uh no because jetfire leaves in this one, and then appears in the Transformers comic that oh, is set okay. in the present day. Okay, so he'd just been on that planet, but not it's not like from our Earth's past. Like, he'd just been on that planet for a very long time. Yeah. He'd just been, yeah, just been on that planet for a thousand years. Okay, so, so it is going to be a, a, a shared timeline, right? Of, yeah. uh, um, so, well, I should say, I said, I say. He leaves there and shows up in the Transformers. There's no sense of how long it took him to travel to Earth. <laughs> so it could be the past. Could be a yeah. long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Yeah, uh, that we're talking about. Um, uh, but but Void Rivals, despite that, it, 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 like it feels fairly separate, at least in these first six issues. Now it's entirely possible that there'll be like some big event, you know, around issue oh. twenty or something that that yeah, really probably brings... eventually they will do some. There there will build to some crossover. Yeah, everything but, uh, really close you know, together. Maybe this Void Rivals will stay on its own side and that just the Transformers and G.I. Joe will be on Earth and it's just they are all taking place in the same universe. Who knows? Yeah. Um, but I was impressed with uh, this launch of a, of a new property of Void Rivals and again, making it feel like it, it could exist as its own thing, but it's fun that it's in the world of Transformers. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, before we move on to the issue by issue summary those first six issues we want to thank you listeners for downloading this and we especially want to thank any of you who support us on patreon if you'd like to support us financially we invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonist and support our show with at least a dollar per month all supporters on patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts which are shorter episodes in which we talk about the media that we've been consuming that we are not yet covering as full episodes of the podcast and all patrons who support us with five dollars per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss all right so i'm going to run through these issues pretty quick here uh issue number one an agorian named Darak crash lands on a remote planet he's unconscious but he has something called a handroid that drags him and talks to a medical way it's a, it's a robot on his hand that can like activate enough of his muscles to kind of like force him to move even while he's unconscious uh Darok has been in a space battle with a zertonian these are mortal enemies as he examines uh his badly uh damaged ship 
he is attacked by that Zertonian, and Darak gets the upper hand in this fight, but doesn't kill her, despite that being what they both expect. They are honor-bound to kill one another if they ever come face-to-face with a member of the other alien race. Darak says if they work with the wreckage of their two ships, they might be able to get off this planet. The Zertonian is a woman named Solila, and she agrees. Their repair attempts are going surprisingly well when there is an explosion further damaging the ship. Solila says everything's hopeless, and she can't die with an Agorian, so she's going to walk off and go die alone. Uh, a little while later, though, she comes running back saying she found something that looks like a spaceship. They go and attach a battery to uh, this wreckage that she's found, and the ship shifts and then turns into the a transformer Jetfire. Jetfire asks how long he's been on this planet, uh, but then he looks at how deeply he was buried and the erosion damage that he suffered, and he says it must be millions of years that he's been on this planet. But he has to return to Cybertron, so he transforms into a jet and flies away, leaving Tarak and Salila still stranded, just looking up. <laughs> Uh, Darak says that didn't go great but I have an idea if we use the technology in our flight suits it's possible we could still maybe salvage one small tiny ship that can get off this planet and to do that though they're going to have to take off their helmets and when they do they realize they're the same race something that shocks them both and Darak says this is just like my vision issue number two in a flashback flashback, Darak is ordered to go capture a comet that is approaching the sacred ring uh, it has 4,000 tons of ice on it, and their enemies, the Agorians, are rationing water. So they're going to try and get this this ice water that's on this comet as well. Um, we meet Darok's father, who's a high-ranking official. Uh, he's not very warm towards Darok. And then on his mission, Darok goes into it like a trance and experiences a vision, telling him how the sacred ring came to be. When a star began to collapse, the peoples of two planets came together to build a ring around the star to contain its energies. Each planet's people live on one half of the sacred ring. The peace, uh, and these are the Agorians and the Zertonians, but eventually the peace broke down, uh, but they're going to have to be reunited again. And that's his vision. So Salila believes Darak heard the voice of a god called Zerta, but Darak says his people don't believe in those kinds of superstitious things. But they work together to build a small crude rocket that launches into space. Salila can't believe she's working with Darak instead of killing him, but he assures her, we're going to die in the ship anyway. It's going to take 12 years to reach the sacred ring, according to Android's calculations. And we have no supplies. So we got off the planet, <laughs> but we're still in a pretty, pretty bad spot. Uh, as they drift in outer space, another ship approaches and tra- tractor beams them in. Uh, and they find out they've been captured by a Skuxoid, which is an alien from the Transformers universe that looks like a rocky Gamorrean guard from Star Wars. Kind of like combine the thing from Fantastic Four with a Gamorrean guard. And I think you land on a Skuxoid. Issue number yep. three. Salila attacks the Skuxoid that has captured them. And we learn here that she is more competent than Derek. Maybe she was a little shaken up from the wreck in that in their first fight when he got the upper hand, but she's definitely the better fighter. Uh, she and Derek run through the ship uh, looking for something that could help them. They hear a voice from a cell offering to help them all escape if they will just free him. And they free a Quintesson. That's uh, another Transformers alien uh, who leads them to his ship. But then the Skuxoid meets up with them and says, you can't trust this Quintesson. And he offers them a trade saying, there's no bounty on your head. So it's not worth it for me to keep you alive and keep you here. But if you leave me your, your, your crappy rocket that I brought in here, uh, I want that because it has a rare alloy that I think I can sell. And I will give you this old transport ship that I have lying around. So they accept and leave the Quintessin with a Skuxoid and fly out of there. Uh, and now they're approaching the sacred ring and they, their plan is that they're each going to go to their people's side of the ring and t- explain what happened. Derek is convinced that once he explains what he's learned about their histories, 
everyone will unite in friendship. Salila thanks him for saving her and then knocks him unconscious because he's acting like an <laughs> idealistic rube right now. <laughs> Issue number four. Derek is taken prisoner uh, and Salila is welcomed home because she took him to her side of the sacred ring. The Skuxoid, we're going to flash over to that Skuxoid alien a couple times here. He's trying to sell the Quintessin to a Decepticon, but the Decepticon says that he has no currency and his fellow Decepticons are in stasis. So now we're going to go meet uh, Zalilak, a leader of the Zertonians, who tells Salila that they will trade Darak to the Angoran side for resources. And she just kind of immediately says she's glad he won't be harmed, which raises all the alarm bells that Zalilak has. And he says, have you seen his face? And she hesitates and he thinks she has got some emotional bond going with Darak. So in his hell, in his cell, Darak is uh, talking with his Android. When Zalila gets thrown in, she's now a prisoner with him. Zalilak goes to a secret room and places a call and Darak's father answers. And they say they must do what they've already agreed upon, even though Darak is his son. And so we have a pretty strong implication that they're going to go kill Darak. Issue number five. Derek is taken away to be tortured, uh, but then a group called the Keepers of the Light enters the cell to talk to Salila. She is surprised since she left the Keepers of the Light to go become a warrior. Uh, but they say she is always a part of them, and they are here to prepare her for what will come next. That Skuxoid is now trying to bargain with the Quintessens to see if they'll pay for the captive that he has. The Quintessens are instead about to just arrest the Skuxoid and free the Quintesson when he mentions that he has a Zertonian ship with strange metals that he could bargain with. The mention of Zertonia makes the Quintessens stop, uh, and they want to go see the ship. Now we're back to Darak. He is being tortured still. A small child sneaks into the cell, and this child has Darak's cl uh, clothes and his handroid. Uh, and he breaks Derek out and takes him to a group of rebels called the Unifiers. Issue number six. Uh, and I'm just going to, this one's the quickest summary. Salila is broken out of her cell, disguised and taken to the Unifiers. Derek and Salila are given a data packet to get to the Unifiers on the Angoran side of the ring. There's a big chase. And they end up in the wasteland between the two sides of the ring. And they're going to try and cross the wasteland to the Angoran side, even though no one survives in the wasteland. The end. Well, uh, also the, the one side's going to prepare a hunter to track him down. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. The, that's the, the cliffhanger. Yeah. Um, like you said, there's a lot of familiar things, a lot of, you know, Romeo and Juliet beats, uh, a lot of, uh, you know, rebellion uh, beats, a lot of uh, secret prophecy uh, kind of beats uh, that are present in here. So there's there's a lot that I think readers would find familiar, but it's well told. And, uh, you know, the art is always clear uh, and uh, it, it's a good style to match uh, the tone that Kirkman is creating. Uh, so even though there's some familiarity, uh, it, it feels like it just kind of felt felt nice <laughs> nice to read i know so, it's not the, yeah. the deepest commentary it's like oh i'm just kind of kind of getting swept up into this alien world uh and i want to see what happens next i always wanted to see what happened next and i think that's uh sometimes that's what i'm looking for in a good comic book story yeah so like i said there's this a lot of things are familiar but they're put together in a different way and they have and then you throw in some original things that set the story apart and it's comfortable, but interesting. Mm -hmm. And with that more interesting side, I think we should talk about the real hero of the story uh, that none of these, uh, that neither Dark or Salila would survive without Handroid. A, yeah, it's uh... a unique, a unique uh, character in this story. Something we really hadn't seen before. 
okay, so it's it's a robot that is on his hand uh, and can talk. And once you say Handroid, just imagine what you would call a Handroid, and you've got it. <laughs> yeah, it's, like, it's the perfect name, and truly, neither of them would have survived without Handroid yeah. being around to and, talk sense or pull Derek out of a situation. Yeah, and and. I mean, the the kind of wise crap, uh, cracking robot, it's something we definitely have seen before. Like, there's a little bit of uh, K2SO in Rogue One feel to the dialogue mm-hmm. that we get from Handroid. Uh, maybe not quite so, like, self-serving, though, as K2SO <laughs> <laughs> yeah. is uh, in that. But it, it is a robot with a little bit of an attitude um, that has a pragmatism, but also is very, always reminding, like, Darak, like, she's the enemy. You need to kill her. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. well that's part of that pragmatism yeah and uh but but also the, the pragmatism allows the android to say okay we're gonna work together right now because otherwise we're not getting off this planet yeah and uh dark really needs android he's uh like you get there are moments where he seems like han solo uh that swagger but mm-hmm. without the skills yeah we're, we're told that his greatest skill is uh, his piloting skills, that he is the greatest pilot on his side of the ring. But because of the way the story is, that it opens with him crash landing on a planet, and then he's able to, able to build something that barely gets off the planet and can't really be piloted. We never really see his skills on display. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and so in some ways, he he comes across a little bit like a like Ken and Barbie, like, like just a little <laughs> bit of a himbo. Uh, that's just kind of yeah. like he, he's there, uh, but she's clearly the more competent uh, of the two in general. Uh, like, like it just it, in a random situation, she'd be, she, you, you'd want her. If yeah. you are it, specifically survive, being a space pilot, you want, her. You want him. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, yeah. And, and he, so he, the, he tries to talk himself out of every situation where mm-hmm. she will fight her way out of every situation. <laughs> Yeah. Now we, I, I may be giving him too little credit because he is the better engineer of the two, and he is the one that is able to build the the rocket to get off uh, of the planet. But you feel like we've kind of been shown all the cards about Darok. He's a pilot who can build some stuff and uh, can kind of work his way out of a scrape, but he's not going to be great at it. Uh, and there's definitely more mystery around Salila uh, at this point. Like there are hints. Um, that there's so much more uh, to her status um, on uh, uh, the Zertonian side of the ring, uh, that, that she's, you know, someone very powerful, very high up, very well trained as a warrior, but also has this history with this religious cult <laughs> that, that shows up. Like there's all these hints that there's, there's more that we need to learn about her. And it feels like we've probably learned everything there's to know about Darok <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> like anything new that we learn about Derek, he's going to be learning at the same time as us as the readers. (laughs) Uh, But there's a mystery box aspect to Salila that keeps you interested in her. Yeah. I think that's uh, actually important to the mystery box aspect because there's mystery to her. There's mystery to this uh, sacred ring that they, that the two races exist on. And so you need that entry point of someone you can relate to someone who uh, isn't like, isn't complicated. That doesn't mean they're not a complex character, but they don't have all the complications uh, and things that are going to be revealed later, but that makes a great entry point. Yeah. Um, and uh, like, clearly he is, he's falling in love with Salila uh, and she likes him, but is, is a mission first kind of <laughs> person. 
Uh, whereas he's like, ah, we could sacrifice the mission if, if there's budding friendship. Wink, wink. Uh, <laughs> is working for both of us. And she's like, yeah, sure. And then I will knock you unconscious and take you to my side. <laughs> and I, I'll hope you're okay. But I'm also going to turn you in. Um, wh- you said you you wanted to get the Handroid. What is the function of Handroid in the in the plot? Do you think, or in 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 the story itself? Um, well, you know, you he's he's not the Deus Ex Machina that he doesn't come in at the end, but he is there to fix every problem that might arise mm-hmm. uh, for Darek. And, yeah and do it in an entertaining way for us as an audience yes, like, uh like it's almost the a, muttering under the breath <laughs> kind of like oh like they, i gotta be the competent one they have the great dynamic yeah like he's the android is the competent one who mm-hmm. yes dark can build the ship but android's the one who's actually going to solve problems for them yeah yeah i like that and i think that's an important function because like you said our our entry point to all this mis- mis- mystery is a little bit of an everyman, which means they can't be the one that actually knows everything already. Uh, so so Android has to be the one that can kind of tell Darak and the reader some of that information uh, yeah, because so, of how the story is being set up. Now, certainly there are stories also... that do have man of mystery as a protagonist. You know, uh, the, the the super competent uh, knows everything, but they, they're going to have a sidekick who's a bit of a buffoon. In this case, we get sidekick that's just a little bit of a buffoon is our main character. And <laughs> the, the android is the one that's going to reveal everything. And then we've got the mystery box, the super competent mystery box woman, uh, Salila, over on the side. Yeah, and so I mean, partly android is fulfilling the function of a lot of androids that they are the information dump. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So like they, like they know everything so they can explain this stuff. And um, there is a real skill to make an infor- the information done in- entertaining so that you're never bored by here's a load of information about stuff. Well, and I think that's that's so important to acknowledge that in in that Robert Kirkman with this Void Rivals comic is creating a whole mythology of this world that lives on a ring around the dying star and they've been at war and uh, you know the, these are the warring factions on the two sides and I can't tell you how many fantasy novels or films like how they work the the info dump in can just be a little clunky and sometimes they just get it done at the top and it's like okay here's a scroll <laughs> Of, of of words that are going across the screen to tell you which is fine because then you can move past it and forget it but sometimes it's like here's a monologue uh you know very early on sometimes it's almost like the combination of the two like lord of the rings or or uh yeah, Hellboy voiceover narration yeah does the voiceover uh, narration with with uh with that where it's like okay here's kind of the the monologue slash info dump at the top before we actually start our story this one weird in media res like, like our, our main character is unconscious on a planet uh when the story opens and kirkman is able to seed that info, info dump throughout the issues and he doesn't give it to all of us in issue number one that would be overwhelming uh that would be too much he, he keeps you curious uh but as we go along we get uh things scattered across all six so by the end of the six issues like, i feel like you have a pretty good handle on uh the angorans and the the uh, gorians and the their uh zertonians uh and who they are and um now some of that is because so much of the story is playing with familiar tropes you can almost shorthand it and just kind of imply montague's capulets 
got it everyone we're good (laughs) (laughs) well but i I think it also goes a little deeper than that and uh you have the dream about the origin of the sacred ring and you know that's a pretty big info dump but it also does in a way that sets up everything that's going to come after for the mystery and i think the other thing that uh kirkman does really well here with building this world is since it's this energon universe it is all the parallels with transformers and gi joe two rival factions of the same race who hate each other and battle constantly and he like once you see that it's like oh that's so obvious like obvious with transformers that's the whole point but then you see the autobots and the decepticons but that's also what gi joe and cobra are and yeah, but like I was like, oh, that layer then makes perfect sense as well. And so, uh, creating this uh, original world that is also echoing the pre-existing properties that they're building in. And at least in the cartoons that I'm familiar with, with both of those, very often the warring factions are just going after the same MacGuffin. Like there's some oh, yeah. MacGuffin that's the race to get this thing for this particular episode. Uh, and in this case, we open up with them crash landing because they were both chasing a MacGuffin of this comet that has water, right? That has resource. Now in GI Joe, it could be the uh, like weather energy transmitter or something like that. I can't remember exactly what it was, but or or the DNA of of various uh, uh, former <laughs> warlords uh, on Earth. Uh, and for uh, the Autobots and Decepticons, is an energy source very often uh, seems to be what they're they're chasing after. But it's just like we both want this thing and we're going for it, and that's why we're at war. Uh, and that's also like, now that you say it, it's like, oh, okay. Yeah, clearly that's the parallel that, that is yeah. being, uh, made with the Zertonians and the Argonians. A and Z. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Thank you. I had not even yeah. caught that, but there it is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It's like, once you click into these things, it really becomes obvious, but that's also like, yeah, it should be obvious. He's not trying mm-hmm. to be clever with it. <laughs> Uh, well, I'm, I'm going to tip my hat. I, I really had not caught that. And uh, once you said it, it's like, oh, I, I feel foolish for not having seen it. Um, is there anything about Salila or Darok as characters that you want us to dig into? Um, it is like, again, not reinventing the wheel, but it is uh, the, uh, not the buddy, buddy comedy, but the, uh, it's the room. Well, it's moonlighting, whatever mm-hmm. you call that, that, uh, relationship. Well, you get the, or, the, will they, won't they, uh, yeah, yeah the will um, they, won't they, but they're clash heads all the they're, time. They're sparring, but there's a flirtatiousness to their sparring, uh, that's yeah. underlying. It's a Sam and Diane on cheers. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, it's, uh, yeah. Where, so it's, where the, it's not romantic comedy. It's not buddy comedy. It's whatever that combination should be called. Uh huh. Um, yeah, because the, there's enough difference that you understand why they're not together, uh, you know, with those examples that you're giving. But there's also this undeniable spark that is drawing them closer together uh, within it. And so they're they're fighting against themselves and their culture and like whatever way they go, they're fighting against something. right? Yeah. You know, if we decide, hey, you know, there's enough about us that's the same that we should get together. They're fighting against their culture and that's, uh, you know, formed their worldviews if they uh say well you're my enemy i want to kill you they're fighting against their interpersonal relationship that's developing um on this and their and their own attraction uh to, to to one another yeah but there's also um a good setup with that 
that like uh, Dark is an optimist, Salila is a pessimist. Mm-hmm. You know, she would say pragmatist, Dark, but it definitely you know, comes across as pessimist. <laughs> yeah, like he's maybe I naively, naively optimistic of oh, we'll just go tell our people the truth, and <laughs> we will reunite and everyone will be at peace. So like, yeah, definitely optimistic, and um, she, you know pragmatic but also pessimistic like no that, like obviously that's not going to solve anything mm-hmm. yeah and and, uh, and I, there's this really well, interesting yeah. aspect of, of like where where her loyalties lie um right where you're starting to see and again this is a trope we've seen many times before uh like she's starting to say like well, I, I was raised to believe all these things, but maybe there's something a little rotten about that. Uh, and and where is that going to take her as far as like her position within her side of the ring? Now, we see them throw her in jail already. So like some of those decisions are being taken from her, but she was clearly starting to question some of that already before. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, maybe if we think about uh, the trio, you have Dark as the optimist, Salada as the pessimist, and Handroid as the pragmatist. Mm, yeah <laughs> i like that uh and, and i'm trying to think of like some of the because like in a fight uh it becomes very much that uh salila is the competent uh one in the fight uh Handroid is the one kind of making plans of what maybe would work best uh and and then Darek is just kind of haplessly there but sometimes somehow it works out for him <laughs> in, yeah in he looks his way through yeah, yeah, yeah he because he's, he's, he's surrounded by a competent woman and a, and a knowledgeable robot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I will say, like, the so one I moment of confusion we're... that I wish uh, had had a little more clarity in either the uh, textual description of, uh, 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 like, a, like, a textual cue for us to pick up on or the art was when she, she uses a weapon that, like, boomerangs back to her. But the first time it read it, like, I had to go read the page, like, three times to understand what, what had happened. Mm. Uh, with, with that one particular weapon, that was like maybe the only time I got like got caught on the storytelling where I'm like, oh, it, it wasn't wasn't as clear as I want. Yeah, well, that's a, a good tra- transition because we should talk about the art some. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a European artist. Um, I'm not sure the colorist, but it is kind of like the perfect art for this yeah. kind of story. And yeah, I'm, I know that it's also that oh, I'm building this world as the artist as well, but the style that they bring to it where it's clean lines but everything's also kind of uh has a rough edge to it yeah i was gonna say slightly squiggly clean lines like like that they're clean and crisp but also there there's it's not like computer straightness uh to them exactly yes and then the colorists um really bringing the craft because the characters are in armor most of the time Mm -hmm. and so um partly it is they the design was different silhouettes for them not just male female but she has a cone to one side of her head and he looks his helmet looks more like your basic robot but Mm -hmm. then like the color differences that they play off of with that uh to help separate them and also uh the um when they're unmasked and you see that they have jewels on their head but they're different shaped jewels playing into the again that dynamic of duality where we're similar but there's just this one difference that makes us hate each other yeah uh yeah the, the art uh, like i said there's one moment in some of the one of the action scenes where that i kind of got caught on and I, I i think there's some ways that they could have 
maybe gotten around it. But other than that, I never once was lost about who was who, about which character yeah. was which character, uh, about um, what planet was or which side of the ring was which side of the ring. A lot of that is coming down to the colorist work, um, making it very distinctive, like immediate visual cues uh, that, that make it clear. But as you pointed out, like they give very distinctive silhouettes uh, to these characters, um, which I mean, it's been said before that uh, one reason why superhero costumes are so important is because a lot of artists draw the same kind of body type <laughs> over and over. And like when you have the superheroes all out of costumes, like is that is that Bruce Wayne or Clark Kent? I can't tell anymore. Uh, <laughs> you know, the the, the, the uh, characters can kind of run together. I I would not have had that problem at all uh, with this, uh, both because of the coloring and uh, the way that the, the characters are being drawn. Even when you get to the group of like the unifiers, uh, like everyone's distinct it, it, it worked fine uh the the art really does tell the story the way it needs to be told well and also the um aliens from the transformers side uh you have you know, like you described skuxoid and then you didn't describe the quintessen what, what quintessen where which is like a a slug float- or no a squid a squid kind of yeah so like fl- big floating head with tentacles below partly robotic mm-hmm. and uh, so they're like working on pre pre-existing designs but they make them look good yeah yeah and and like there's that immediate uh like revulsion and creepiness for the the, the tentacle and and uh yeah. you know squid design for the for the quintessence which is what like they're gonna choose to trust this person but as an audience like we're immediately like mm, there's double cross coming <laughs> yeah, and just like, the words they... are a little too surfy sweet and the image is a little too uh you know monstrous yeah no you and yeah it was suitably monstrous and uh i think it was a full page for his reveal yeah and, and you know the pacing works well and that's partly also you're working with a master storyteller who understands how stories work on a comic book page. Yeah. Where to give us a splash page, where to give us like a sequence of small panels that are like building up actually like almost a staccato rhythm. When you get like a short panel, small panel, small panel, small panel, big splash page. It's, it's like a, uh, you know, quarter note, quarter note, quarter note, whole note. Uh, and there's something about the comic medium that allows you to pause on that big panel. And it doesn't feel like you're, uh, transgressing the contract between storyteller and audience, you're engaging with it the way, the way they want you to. They want you to linger on the you know the big splash page with the fancy art and uh, you know all the details that your eyes can kind of linger on. And however long you linger on that, that's fine. And you turn the page and you're back into the story. And it's very different than you know like trying to pause a film because there's a beautiful cinema uh, you know moment of cinematography or something like that. Yeah, and you really hard in just novels and short stories to try and create that same rhythm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's one of those uh, like affordances of the graphic novel medium that's that makes it distinct uh, from th- those other storytelling mediums. Now, every, every medium has their own affordances that are strengths and uh, maybe limitations that makes it a little harder to work around. Uh, but this uh, the combination of Kirkman's pacing and then the artist's ability to render, uh, you know, the images that he's he's asking for uh, made this just a really pleasant read. Yeah. And, and uh, I also, like, as part of that pacing, um, I, I when you were talking about, like, him having the vision about the, the sacred ring and how it came to be, I like that that's, like, the uh, the cliffhanger for issue number one. It's like, oh, it's just, like, my vision. Wait, what? And, and that's the end of the <laughs> <I> know. <laughs> you know, end of the issue. And then issue number two begins with us getting that vision. And it is, like, a top-of-the-story info dump, but it doesn't feel that way because it's coming in yeah, issue two. I... Um, 
and uh, you know, it, it, we were kind of like given just the right amount of tease before it was going to come. And it also, it's not the bulk of the issue. Um, it, it's, it's just the, you know, the first, uh, you know, maybe fifth, of the issue uh, is, is that info dump of his vision. Well, you were, you read this all at once. I read them uh, month by month as it came out and that was, was kind of like a weirdly brilliant ending for the first issue of, you know, this was just like my dream and you're just left with like, what does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so you're, you, it's interesting, but also like kind of weird. Yeah. Yeah. There's the strangest to it. And I'm, I'm like going through, cause I, in my summary, I just labeled each issue. So issue number one ends with that statement like oh it's just like my vision issue number two is going to end with the uh the skuxoid uh uh pulling them into his larger ship through a tractor beam uh issue number three ends with uh salila um thanking him for saving her and then knocking him unconscious (laughs) and we know she's taking him to uh, to her side of the ring uh issue number four uh is uh the two leaders Darek's father and zalilak uh kind of agreeing that okay well you got to go kill those two <laughs> essentially yeah. uh issue number five ends with uh, uh derek being ta- broken out and taken to the unifiers and then issue number six uh ends with them going into the wasteland and the hunter about to be released after them so like yeah, so- there's a, a rhythm and uh you know it's different flavor at the end of every issue but every issue does end on kind of a significant moment uh and, and you know this this narrative beat that is going to linger with you as like in my case, I was able to just grab the next issue. and like, okay, well, what's, what's that? I want to see what happens next. Uh, but for you, it was a month wait to find out what that next thing yeah. was. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, John, do you have any final thoughts before we wrap up this well, I, episode? Yes. I do want to talk a little bit about the rest of the line. Um, okay. You have transformers uh, being written and drawn by Daniel Warren Johnson and uh, I know we haven't talked about them on podcast, but Joe, if you read the Beta Ray Bill miniseries from a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, t- we talked about Beta Ray Bill, but it wasn't his miniseries, but that was a fantastic miniseries. Yeah, so he's writing and drawing Transformers. And that, uh, like, I've I fell in love with this guy's storytelling with uh, Beta Ray Bill, and he's keeping it up here. And it, when you talk about that affordances of the comic book medium, he is someone who really understands that and can do a real impressive page turn on some of the action of these giant robots mm-hmm. and tiny earthlings. <laughs> and then uh, they're just like, they just released the first issue of the Duke miniseries and Cobra Commander coming up that will build to GI Joe. But uh, with Void Rivals and Transformers, it's you know, like two series that are working with master storytellers and, really understanding the craft and just doing really impressive stuff. And so if you like the comic book medium, whether or not you like transformers or not, I still, I would also recommend picking up the transformers. Yeah. And there's, um, what what this artist is doing. Yeah. And I saw some, like I skimmed the letters pages that were at the back and there were some hints about other Hasbro properties that they may be able to pull in. There was definitely a nod to ROM and a mask, uh, was mentioned. Yeah. So if you're yeah, of the right age to have that kind of childhood nostalgia hit for uh, early mid eighties uh, Hasbro toy slash cartoon combos, uh, <laughs> they may be expanding it beyond, but for now it's just the void rivals, transformers and uh, the GI Joe Cobra, Com- uh, Cobra commander stuff that's coming yeah, out. That, right? That's what uh, the IDW line was. They mm-hmm. had, they had transformers and then brought GI Joe. And then for a while it was 
Mask, Rom, uh, I think a, a toy line I never heard of called Luminaries. Oh, I don't know that one. Yeah, but yeah it, like, it they, sounds like maybe those rights are sorted out enough that, that Kirkman will be able to play with those two. Yeah. Um, so, Rom is a very tricky um, rights one because like there's a whole – there was a Marvel comic books line around Rom Space Knight that was part of the core Marvel narrative universe. Like there's issues of the X-Men where all of a sudden Rom is there uh, where you're like, you're just reading Uncanny X-Men and like Rom Space Knight shows up, which was a crossover with his, his title. Uh, but then Hasbro pulled the rights from Marvel. <laughs> so you can't read the actual Rom issues uh, that were uh, crossing no, over with no, some of their core titles. No, Joseph. Uh, Marvel is now being able to reprint Rom and Micronauts, which oh. may may be a clue into some of the stuff going on with skybound of maybe they worked out some things to let marvel reprint and they might get, 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 get some the, rights okay this is just some of those yeah it's always interesting when marvel licenses characters and puts them into the main marvel universe um yeah it often makes odd legal issues around around reprints, it, but they, they keep doing it like very recently they had conan appearing for quite a while in the main marvel universe Yes, uh, and then they and, and then the, the they, rights they to Conan the Barbarian the moved. Yeah, they didn't lose the license; they dropped the license. It sounded like, yeah, that's um, uh, interesting. Yeah. Uh, business side of entertainment. It's uh, like business and technology are always dictating what what art is actually being made far more than we want to recognize. <laughs> but anyway, if you want to go and read the Micronauts and uh, Rom series, which lasted far longer than the toys did, which tells you something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, those will now be available at least in omnibus form okay alright well that is going to wrap up this episode of the protagonist podcast thank you John for coming on and uh, and recommending Void Rivals you're welcome and thank you listeners for downloading this episode and listening for show notes and links to all the other great dueling genre shows you can go to duelinggenre.com also please subscribe to the protagonist podcast in your podcast app of choice and please leave us a review that really helps us out we'd like to thank scott tofty who composed our theme music thank you again for listening we'll be back next week to discuss another great character and a great story so long